as Brother John was uh, alluding to, we do have a special speaker this morning, and it's it's a privilege and, uh, and, and a wonderful blessing to have one of our missionaries with us. Uh, Ethan Shields uh, serves with his uh, wife, Beth, and their uh, four children in Panama. He is a missionary pilot. He has a pilot's license, and part of what he does in Panama is uh, minister to uh, the indigenous people uh, there, and uh, with, uh, with a, a plane that he built, um, he flies into uh, those different parts where, you know, by land you cannot get to and provides medical help uh, to those indigenous people that are in need, but he also gives the more importantly spiritual help and uh, shares the gospel. And then while uh, he's in town there, he uh, shares the gospel, works in a local church and uh, helps discipling and uh, serving there with a pastor. I think it's Taylor is the pastor of the church there. And, uh, and what a blessing uh, to see uh, and to hear what God is doing over there. I know uh, Brother Ethan will share a little bit about that as he comes to, to speak. But uh, before that, I also want to say uh, that I, I've known Brother, Brother Ethan uh, years, decades now, and, um, and there's a lot of things that I appreciate about him. I appreciate his faithfulness to God. Uh, I appreciate his example and uh, his willingness to serve. But most importantly, uh, and probably what I appreciate most, is his friendship. Um, over the years, he's been someone that I've been able to get to know and, uh, and see just a genuine walk with God. I've been able to see and be encouraged by his ministry. There have been times where we've prayed together. There's been times where we've uh, served in different uh, projects together. And he's just been uh, a blessing in, in my life. And, and I'm so thankful. I'm, I'm proud as a church to support someone that has been so faithful. And, uh, and seeing what God is going to do and continue to do in their ministry is something that I think we ought to be proud of as a church. And, uh, and Brother Ethan, we're so excited that you're here this week. And if you would, why don't you come and share with us what the Lord has laid on your heart. And let's welcome him this morning to Bethany Baptist. Thanks, my brother. Good morning. It is my privilege to be here with you guys today. I'm uh, so happy to, uh, to be here and be able to worship the Lord with you. I tell you what, I, I, I can't tell you... Um, how much it blesses my soul to be in a song service like this. A worship service was really a blessing. You guys have no clue how good you have it. <laughs> when, you, when you're on the mission field and you don't have a team like that, you don't have music of that quality, uh, you really miss it. You really miss it. When you come back, you're like, oh, oh, I really, I really like this. This is, this is really good quality worship. And uh, so I miss that a lot. Um, my wife and kids are back in Panama. They, um, especially Beth, she is dying with jealousy right now uh, of me being able to be here, see you guys. Uh, and we have dear, dear friends here that we go back a long time. And uh, so do keep Beth in your prayers. Um, she also knows I'm eating good Mexican food and, and brisket. And uh, I have not sent her any pictures of any food that I've eaten so far out of kindness. Uh, I want to have a happy wife when I come home. So I'm trying to figure out a way to get Chick-fil-A home. So if I can get it as soon as I get on the plane, I think it'll still be, it'll still be good. Yeah. So 
Um, really quick, I, I, I have a message uh, from the Lord for you this morning, but really quick before I get there, I want to just give you a very quick update as far as the ministry in Panama. God has been blessing in amazing ways and uh, really excited about what the Lord is doing with the aviation ministry. The aviation authorities came out about three weeks ago and uh, they gave us all green lights. They just said the runway, the angle that we put on the dirt, we, we made the runway 50 feet wide and uh, that is way more than we would ever need. However, we have this angle on the edges of the runway at the end of those 50 feet, and they're like, yeah, that's unacceptable. So we have to do a little bit of runway modifications. So we do need to raise the funds for that. All total, with all the runway modifications we need to do, it'll be about $10,000. So if I could just ask you guys to pray with us about uh, these, these needs. Um, once we get the runway modifications done, we can build the hangar and then fly the plane down there and begin uh, to use it and not have to hike into these places. Places that are only 10 miles away take us two days to get there two days to get there. And, and, and one of those days, we can drive for an hour and a half on paved road, and then for about three hours on off-road. And it still takes another day and a half to get the rest of the way. It is unbelievable. Sea level to uh, 9,000 feet, back to sea level again in 40 miles. That's from the Pacific to the, to the Caribbean Sea is 40 miles, and it goes from sea level to 9,000 feet back down to sea level. And we've got the perfect tool to be able to fly in there, land in short distances. Our plane is a stole aircraft, short takeoff and landing. It is um, an incredible tool that God has given us, and I can't wait to be able to use it. So for the meanwhile, we're hiking in there, and uh, that's very difficult and grueling. Um, but we're, we praise the Lord that he lets us serve him that way. So uh, pray for us that when the aviation authorities come back, they're satisfied with all the modifications that, that we do. And, uh, and in faith, we can have that done and be able to use that for the furtherance of God's kingdom. Um, Bow the knee is the last hymn. And, and Pastor Jeremy didn't know what I was going to sing, or Brother John. Nobody knew what I was going to uh, preach this morning. And they, we sung that song, and it was very appropriate. And you'll see why here in a second. Turning your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Joshua. Joshua here, we have... Um, so Moses just died, right? We're, we're in the Exodus. Israel has left the, the, the nation of Egypt, and they have been in the wilderness for 40 years. Joshua and Caleb, 40 years ago from Joshua chapter 3, 40 years ago from that point, they had gone in with the other 10 spies, came out. Uh, Joshua and Caleb said, let's go. God gave us this land. Yeah, they're big, but they'll fall. And, uh, and the other 10 were like, no, no, no. We're as grasshoppers. Remember all that? And then Joshua chapter 3 happens. So 40 years has passed. Moses is, is gone. He's out of the picture. Joshua is a nobody still. Uh, he is still just that guy that said we should do this 40 years ago. God is fixing to raise him up in front of the nation of Israel. He is going to make him great. He is going to use him and, and to prove to the nation of Israel that he is with Joshua. So the title of the message today is How to Deal with Obstacles. Because the nation of Israel comes up to their very first obstacle to take the, the promised land. They're going to go in and take this promised land that God has given them, that God has promised them, that he promised Abraham way back when, come out of the land of the Ur of the Chaldees to a land that I will show you. This is it, right? This is it. This is the fulfillment of that promise. 
they're going to go in and finally take the promised land that God has offered them, that God has given them, and, and their first obstacle is really, really interesting. The first obstacle is the River Jordan, and we're going to read a couple pieces here as, as we go, but I just want, I want all of us to get on the same page as what's going on right now in what we're going to read. So Joshua is not an established leader that everybody trusts. He is just the, the next guy in line, and God's fixing to get them to trust him, and this is the first obstacle that they're going to uh, come in front of before they go into the, the promised land. We know what happens. They, they cross over, they go and they take Jericho and then, and then there's the AI and there's a defeat and all that. But, but, but hold on a second. Let's, let's back up and cross the river Jordan before all of that. There's some things here in this passage that we can learn to deal with trouble because I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter if you're rich, you're poor, you're in America or Panama or Mexico or Cuba, there's one thing that's everywhere for everybody, and that is trouble, right? Problems, trials, tribulations, trouble. Your trouble might look different than mine. Hey, and when you're two, your trouble is that the cartoon you want to watch is not on, right? And when you're six, is that mom won't let you have the candy you want, right? And when you're 13, is that dad took your phone away and he only gave you 30 minutes, Okay. I, I understand our, our troubles, but when you're when you get older, I know that when we look at our kids and we're like, "Man, your your problems are great, right?" I wish I had problems the size of yours. That's how God looks at our problems, right? That's how God looks at our problems. Think for the nation of Israel to see the River Jordan. The River Jordan. If we read for, further down here in in the passage, there about verse seventeen, you see that the River Jordan is at the widest part of it, it overflowing all of its banks it is in the time of harvest and so this is at the widest part of the of its um, of its cycle and god brought them to the river jordan at the absolute worst time possible because in dry season the river jordan's only um 90 meters 91 meters 100 yards 91 meters thereabout wide and it has dry banks but at the time when God brought the nation of Israel to the River Jordan, it is, it is one mile, one mile, 1.6 kilometers wide. And the Bible says it has marshy banks and it overflows, has marshy banks. So you've got a marsh and then a mile and then a marsh and you've got two million people that need to cross and God brings them to the time when there's a marsh, a mile of river and a marsh. And there's two million people. That makes no sense whatsoever. That is the absolute worst decision, logically, logistically, to get these people across the River Jordan. And that's precisely what God did. Why? I mean, if you look at this cold, and, and as a human, it makes absolutely no sense. He spent 40 years with the nation of Israel. Dude, six months either way, and it would have been 100 yards. I mean, like, really? That makes sense to me and you. But God's like, no, I don't know. Time of harvest, a mile and two marshes, two million people, get them across. You know why God did that? He did that so that it would be impossible. Think about it. Think about this. All of the poles, the posts, the, all of the, clo the cloth, the seven layers that go on the tabernacle, all of the utensils, all of two million people's pots and pans, 
all of their tents, and they didn't roll up in a nice little canvas bag. Nobody. This stuff we had to carry on wagons. All of their chickens and their goats and their cattle, their kids, their toys, their pots and pans, the little, the little wheel thing that your kid made. I mean, your favorite pet rock. All of those things have to go across the river. It's impossible. It makes no sense. That's precisely why God brought them to that place at that time. Sometimes you see something that's like, this is, this is impossible. When that happens, remember this lesson you're going to learn today. Because God is at work. He leads us to times when there is no other explanation but Him. And that's when God gets the maximum amount of glory. In Isaiah, uh, God says that my glory is mine and I will not share it with another. God is jealous of his glory and that is what he's doing. He is setting the stage so that everybody understands there is nothing anybody can do unless I save you, I deliver you. Watch this. Joshua chapter uh, 3, verse 1 to 2. Listen to this. It says, And Joshua rose early in the morning and they removed from... Shittim, and came to Jordan, and he and all the children of Israel lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass that after three days that the officers went through the host. You notice something here before we go on, before we cross the river Jordan? You notice something that God did for the nation of Israel? He made them wait. Think about it. Forty years they've been in the nation of in, in, in the in the in the the desert, 40 years. And God brings them to the edge of the River Jordan and they know they're crossing. They know they're going to go in and he leaves them there for three days. First thing we learn about when we come up to an obstacle, we need to not act in the flesh. We need to wait. We need to pump the brakes. Look, I, I am, in my character, I'm like a bulldozer. I see problem, I want to solve. Right? If I was in the nation of Israel, I would have been like, all right, Jeremy, here's what we need to do. We need to get some ropes. We need to do some. And Jeremy was like, okay, all right, let's, let's get, hey, we need people to get ropes. All right. What else we need, Ethan? And, and we would have been talking like, hey, dude, this is, I, I got a solution, right? And I'm sure there was people in Israel that were like that then. But hey, let me tell you something. When, when you come up to a problem, sometimes the worst thing you can do is act in your flesh and just you figure it out because you're going to make things worse. Sometimes you, you, you shouldn't go and run and get into debt and you do, Right? Sometimes you, you, you go and seek help from somebody else like uh, Egypt and you shouldn't have sought help with them. Sometimes you, you get allies that you shouldn't have gotten allies and you compromise where you shouldn't have. Sometimes we go out and we try to figure things out on ourselves and we just make things worse when we just need to pump the brakes and, and say, okay, let the problem sink in. Let's pray. Let's think. Let's fast. Let's see what God wants us to do in the situation. And God did. God, God showed him. So first thing we know we need to understand is that we need to wait when we come up on a problem and not act on impulse. Second thing we see that we need to do, continuing there in verse 3, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests of the Levites bearing, bearing it, then shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 200 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go, 
for ye have not passed this way hitherfore. So second thing we can learn from this example is that we can trust God to lead us. Look, when you see God move like the nation of Israel was told, hey, stay put three days. And when you see God's um, Ark of the Covenant, when you see God move, then move. Then. Don't, don't get ahead of God. We can get ahead of God. God has a timeline. I, I wish I had time to tell you all the times in Panama where I have wanted the, the runway project to go faster and, and, and the airplane to be there and, and all these things to happen on my schedule, but it's not been my schedule. It's been God's. And I've had to learn this the hard way. I'm, I'm preaching to you from some experience here. We, we need to learn to wait on God. And when God moves, things happen the way he wants them to happen. And it is glorious, like you're fixing to see. It is wonderful. So you can trust God to lead you. He wants you to succeed more than anybody else. I also want you to notice that God told them not to come close to the ark. He says, give them space. In other words, he's saying, stand back and watch me work. 2,000 cubits, that's 3,000 feet, that's 914 meters. Two million people. Look, this makes no sense whatsoever. What God told them to do, it makes no earthly sense. Comes to the, to the river at the worst time of the year, and then he tells them, take the one thing that is the most precious that you have, Ark of the, Ark of the Covenant, the one thing, the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, and put it on your non-soldier people, your priests, and then move away. Move away. He's telling them, be vulnerable. Watch me work. Have faith in me. Watch me work. Don't come close. I want you to be far enough away you can see things happen. Sometimes we just need to trust that God is going to work. And God's going to deliver. It is amazing when he does. Third thing we, we see about when we come up to an obstacle, a trial, a tribulation. Look at verse 5. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will work wonders among you. Hey, do you want God to work wonders in your family? Do you want God to work wonders in your church? Do you want God to work wonders in your nation? And do we not ever need God to work wonders in our nation? I mean, we really need God's power in God's church, in God's people, to affect the world that is rotting. You know what stops rot in meat? Salt. This is a different message, but I couldn't resist. And we are the salt of the earth. But you notice here what it says, and Joshua said unto the people, sanctify yourselves. Now you guys know the rest of the story, so I, I'm going to make reference to it. You know, after the, 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 um, the triumph at Jericho, the walls fall, and, um, and we have this guy, it's over in, uh, in Joshua 7, don't turn there, but Achan, he goes in and he takes some of the plunder, right? God said, that's mine, that's sanctified for me, leave it. One guy sins, and then they go to the battle of Ai, and thousands of guys die. The nation of Israel is, is helpless because God won't work amongst a, a sinful people. But wait, all the people weren't sinful, just the one. But there was sin in the camp. There was sin in the camp. As a family, as a family, 
mainly I'm going to talk to fathers and then mothers and then kids. But we need to sanctify ourselves. How? Let me ask you a question. How can we expect God, biblically, how can we expect God to work wonders in me, in my family, in my church, in my nation, if I know I have sin and I refuse to confess it? He won't. It'll be AI all over again. Hey, we want a river, Jordan? Sanctify yourselves. God wants to work wonders in us. We are his people. We are the church. He wants to work wonders in us, but we know we have sin, and we just like, I like this sin. I want to keep it. It's cute. It doesn't hurt anybody else. Oh, no. Oh, no. It doesn't hurt anybody else. Tell Achan that. He killed his whole family because of that little sin that was so cute and precious and didn't hurt anybody else. Tell the thousands of men that died because he had sin. And he's like, this doesn't hurt anybody. It didn't. And it really wasn't significant from a human standpoint. But God says, no, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. I want to work wonders in you. And the nation of Israel listened this time. They listened. They sanctified themselves. And then on the morrow, God worked wonders in them. Look at, look at verse 8. And thou shalt command the priest to bear the ark of the covenant, saying, when ye are come... Okay, let me pause a second. I want you to watch something specific. I'm going to read this verse and, and two other verses, or three other verses. I'm going to read a couple other verses. I want you to pay attention to the feet of the priests. There's a really cool lesson, but you got to pay attention and watch for what happens to the feet of the priests. It's really cool, okay? Watch this, verse 8. And thou shalt co command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water, water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. Okay? Let me ask you a question. Are their feet wet? It, it, it would seem so. It's not exactly clear. Okay, that's fair. Look at verse 14. And it came to pass when, when um, the people removed from their tents and passed over Jordan, and the priest... Bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as they bear the Ark, where come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the Ark were dipped, dipped. The feast, the, the feet of the priests were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all its banks all the time of the harvest, that's the verse I was referencing earlier, that the waters that came down from above stood and rose upon a heap very far from the city of Adam and, and is besides Zeratan, and those that came down towards the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed. So the waters failed. They stopped. God turned the spigot off and were cut off. And the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on what? Dry ground. And the midst of the Jordan and all the Israelites passed over on what? Dry ground until the people were passed over Jordan. Okay, so, so really quick. The Bible says very clearly, and that's the last two verses, that all of the nation of Israel passed over Jordan on dry ground. But... Did the priest's feet get wet? They did. They did. 
their feet got wet. Think about this for just a second. Go with me for a second. I'm a priest. I'm carrying the ark. I'm coming up to the River Jordan. The people, the nation of Israel is 900 meters behind me. There are 3,000 feet behind me watching. The whole nation of Israel, 2 million people watching. River Jordan before me, marshy banks. What, what's in a marsh but mud, right? Mud. So I'm walking in the mud. Bible says I have to get to the and dip my feet in the water. I'm carrying the Ark of the Covenant. God didn't say what was going to happen. He just said, do this. We, we don't know if we're going to walk on water or if we're going to be able to breathe underwater. We have no idea what's going to happen. Okay? And, and, and we know from, from future verses, from future chapters, that God won't work unless we're purified. Okay? So, so I'm a priest. I'm carrying the ark. And I'm, I'm stepping through mud. I'm up to my knees in the mud. And then I come to the River Jordan, and, I, and I'm like, okay, what's going to happen? Am I, am I going to stand in it? Am I going to be able to walk on it? What, what's going to happen? I step in. My feet are dipped in the brim of Jordan. What do you think's going through their mind right then? It's not working. What did we do wrong? Did, did I purify myself? Did you, Billy? <laughs> Levi, did you? What's going on? I'm telling you, I think these guys, they were, they were checking themselves. But they, but they have faith. And they walk in and I go in. Levi's feet get wet, and finally, the water starts to recede. And what's at the bottom of the water? But not, not muddy, yucky dirt, but dry ground. Is God flexing or what? I mean, this is a major flex. He's like, watch this, guys. I'm going to take you to the river when it's the absolute least logical when it's the most impossible time, and I'm going to leave you there for three days just so it sinks in, you ain't got a clue how to make this happen. And then I'm going to take the most prized possession you have, and I'm going to put it in the most vulnerable possession, position possible to see if you trust me, to see if you will obey when it doesn't make sense. And then when they do, God says, okay, watch this. Boom cuts the rivers. Who can do that? Makes water stand on a heap. Who can do that? That's the God we serve. Man, I hope you're excited. That is the God we serve, and he is not less powerful today. It's the same one. We need to purify ourselves if we expect God to work wonders in us. No pet sins. Completely clean. In our, in our, in ourself, in our family, in our church. That's how we affect our nation. The last lesson I want you to see, verse 17, and the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, and all the the Israelites passed over on dry ground. How many of the Israelites passed over? All of them. All of them. The priests stood firm carrying what? Ark of the Covenant was made of what? You guys know that gold is heavy? 
and it wasn't gold like like you know electroplated where it's like microscopically thin. This stuff was hammered on. This stuff was really thick. You can read all of the, the the gems and jewels and everything that they that they used to make it. It was lots and lots and lots of gold. It's a really heavy box. Really heavy. They stood firm. Look, sometimes you go through trials for you to learn a lesson, for me to learn a lesson. Sometimes we go through trials for that. These is these priests weren't bearing the load of the Ark of the Covenant for them. Think, think about what's going on here. The Israelites are two million people watching this happen. They're three thousand feet from the banks of Jordan. The river recedes. They're seeing the water build up in a heap. They see the path before them dry up. They see the priests standing out there. And, and God said, don't come nigh. Don't come near. And then when they finally start walking, they walk and the priests stand still. All the nation of Israel walks by them. And they stand there still in the middle of the day, bearing the Ark of the Covenant, standing still. And all of the nation of Israel passes them. Two million people. How long do you think that happened? Two million people to walk 3,000 feet, walk a mile to get across the, the river area, and then they have to walk at least another mile to fit two million people on the other side, right? That took all day. Two million people to walk approximately three miles with wagons and, and chickens and goats and all the stuff. That took a long time. And they stood firm on dragon. Sometimes God leads you to a trial to teach you something. But sometimes, dad, mom, sometimes God leads you through a trial to teach someone around you. What would it have been like if, if the priest had been murmuring about the weight of the ark when the nation passed by? They would have put discontentment in the heart of the people that walked by. They would have said, you're right. That is, it, the sun is hot. Oh, you're right, these bags, these suitcases really are heavy. Oh, you're right, this burden, oh, poor us. They would have infected the people with that kind of a spirit. But what would it have been like if, if they'd have passed by the, the, the priests? The Bible doesn't say which way they were going here. I'm thinking that they were praising the Lord because of the victory that they went on to have after this because the good spirit that they had. But what would it have been like had they gone by and they heard them saying, Praise God for your mighty works. Jehovah, you are such a deliverer. Thank you for this mighty deliverance. Thank you for fighting on our, on our behalf. And people walk by and go, wow, you're right. Look at what God's doing for me right now. So be careful how you bear a load. Pastor, everybody's watching you. Be careful how you bear a load. Dad, your kids are watching you. Be careful how you, how you bear that load. Mom. Be careful how you talk to your kids when you're discouraged. They're watching you. They're watching you bear the load. Big sister, big brother, watch your little siblings are watching how you bear the load. Sometimes God leads you through a trial to teach you, but sometimes he's trying to teach people around you. And these priests gave us a good example. We need to be like these priests and bear the load well until all the people around us get over the the obstacle that God has allowed and brought into our life so that he would receive all the honor and glory. So next time you come up to a trial, remember this. Wait. Trust God. 
sanctify yourself. Watch God to move. And when he moves, you follow in faith. Knowing that God is working in your life and for you. And he wants the best thing for you. He is a good and wonderful and, and, and gracious God. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the privilege that it is to call you Father. Thank you, Lord, for working in us and among us. We praise you this morning, Lord. You are the only one that is worthy of honor, glory, and praise. Thank you for what you've done for us, starting on Calvary, but every day. The way we get to see you work in a mighty way in our lives. God, I pray that you would sanctify me. I want you to work in my life. I want you to work in my family. I want you to work in my ministry. I want you to help me be a light where you have put me. That I could be salt. I could be different. I could point others to you. Thank you for what you've done, God. And I thank you for what you're going to do in your church here in Methania by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.